Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 13. So we can continue to look at the book of Acts. Um, we've been seeing in the first 12 chapters how God has been growing the church. The church has been growing. One of the things that has caused that growth actually is persecution. There's also been a lot of persecution um, in the way of the church, and yet the persecution hasn't been squelching the church at all, but it's actually been causing the church to spread even more. And um, what we see in, in Acts 13, actually in the last couple of chapters, is, is there's, there's a shift in focus um, from Jerusalem now up to this city called Antioch. And uh, that's where we are at the beginning of chapter 13. But there's a church that's growing in Antioch, and, um, and there's a lot of great leaders there, and, and a lot of people are coming to know Jesus there in Antioch. It's, it's north of Israel, still on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And, um, and, and, but what you see there is not really just a, a really awesome church with a lot of awesome people and, and, and uh, gifted people, but you, you continue to see what you've been seeing all along, in, all, all along in Acts, which is the power of God and the Spirit of God working to, to open people's eyes and to grow the church by leaps and bounds. And, and so in the beginning of Acts 13, we, uh, we see the shift into Antioch, and, and from Antioch we see Paul and Barnabas, who are among the leaders there, are then sent out and begin spreading the, the message of Jesus to the rest of the world, the rest of the Roman Empire, all over the Mediterranean. Um, and so that's what we, we see here at the beginning of Acts 13. So listen to God's word. As I read, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 12. And it's printed in your order of worship. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there. Now there, were, now, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, the, John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elemas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your spirit to speak right now. In spite of the limitations of the words of the one speaking, 
um, in spite of the limitations of our, our own hearts and ability to be receptive to what you say. Father, we pray that your spirit would break through all of that and would speak straight from your word to our hearts. We pr- Father, we pray that you would use your word right now to, to, to mold us and shape us and transform us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Snoopy, Mr. Bean, Maggie Simpson, Baby Yoda, Harpo Marx, Mose Schrute. You guys have any idea what they all have in common? None of them speak. None of them say anything. They're all silent always. They, 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 don't, they don't communicate. They don't speak. And, and as you, they're all fictional characters, but as, as you watch them, well, I guess Harpo Marx isn't a fictional character, but as you, as you watch them, um, you don't expect them to speak. If they were to say something, you would be shocked. Sadly, I think that many of us Christians, even though we believe in the Holy Spirit, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, um, we say we believe that, that as, as you trust Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is given to us and lives in us. A lot of us, and I count myself among us all, um, we just count on him to be quiet, silent, like everybody else. We don't count on him to speak. We just count on him to kind of do his work quietly. But I, I think that as you look at the whole book of Acts, as you look at this passage, one of the things that we should expect from the Holy Spirit is to get involved and to speak to us, to speak to us. I mean, I think that's one of the things that you see as you read this passage. I mean, in verse 2, the Holy Spirit is actually quoted, right? He says, the Holy Spirit said, quote, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then later on, I would even argue maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak, but he shouts, as Paul confronts Elemus. And Paul, you know, you can't make a case that Paul is definitely shouting at Elemus, but I think at least the very tone of his voice probably sounds a little bit, you know, sometimes our kids are like, why are you yelling at me? We're like, we're not yelling, but it's the tone of our voice, right? The tone of Paul's voice is, is very much kind of sh- like shouting. And, and, and what does it say right before Paul talks? It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you see the Holy Spirit speaking, you see the Holy Spirit shouting here, and what I want to do this morning is, is just for a few minutes look at what is it that moves the Holy Spirit to speak? What is it that moves the Holy Spirit to shout here? As we long to hopefully hear from the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? So what is it first that moves the Holy Spirit to speak? Well, as I just mentioned in verse 2, it says the Holy Spirit said something to the church. How, how did that work? I mean, the, I guess it's possible that they just heard this voice from heaven. Um, I think that's unlikely. I think if that's what happened, it probably would have said so here, that they heard a voice from heaven. Um, is, is it possible that maybe the, the entire church, as they're praying, has this, in unison, has this sense, you know, all of them at the same time, yeah, this is what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. You know, just internally they have this sense. That's possible. I think the most likely scenario, because it says in verse 1 that there are prophets and teachers among the people there, that the Holy Spirit speaks through a prophet. 
that one of the prophets there says these exact words, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, and they were all, it was all clear to them that, that God was speaking, that the Holy Spirit was speaking through this prophet. Whatever, however it happened, everybody is clear on the fact that the Holy Spirit is speaking as he speaks to the church. So what is it that, that causes him to speak? What is it that moves him to speak? Because I, I want to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. Because what does the Holy Spirit do as he speaks? He, he guides the church. He gives them instruction. He leads them. He tells them what to do. And that's what I want. I want the Holy Spirit to be guiding me, to giving me instruction, to lead me as I'm trying to live my life, as I'm trying to accomplish the things that I, I think God wants me to accomplish. I want to hear the Holy Spirit speak. So what are the conditions that are happening here that create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to speak. And I see a couple things happening. I'm, I mean, you, you, have you ever seen um, on the, when you're watching the weather, the weather will, will be like, okay, we have a perfect situation, the perfect atmosphere for uh, a complete whiteout snow squall. You know, we have, we have the temperatures right, the, 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 there's enough moisture in the air, you have a high pressure coming in over a low pressure. Now, before you, any of you guys correct me, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, that there's like perfect conditions all in place for this to happen. And I think that's maybe... One thing we see here, there's, there's perfect conditions to create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to speak into the life of the church. So what are those, what are those conditions? Well, number one is that, and I've talked about this before, that the Word of God is prominent. The Word of God is front and center. It is being proclaimed. It is being taught. As you read through that, the whole passage, these guys who get sent out, Paul and Barnabas, what are they doing? They're, they're proclaiming the Word of God, right? Um, and, and it's easy to see that as even the proconsul, the governor, um, the Roman governor, he, he wants to hear the word of the Lord. It says he seeks to hear from them the word of God. And at the very end, what changes him? He, he's, he's amazed at what occurs in the life of Elimus, but, but most importantly, he's astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The, the teaching of the Lord, the word of the Lord is present in these guys that come out from Antioch. But at the very beginning, what does it say in the first, first verse? It says, now there were in the church at Antioch, the first thing that they say about Antioch, the thing that characterizes Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. There were prophets and teachers. What do prophets and teachers do? Prophets speak the word of God. Teachers explain the word of God to the people. And so that's kind of the number one task of the church is they, they were committed to listening to the word of God, to paying attention to the word of God, to, to hearing the word of God. The word of God was present, it was prominent. And this makes total sense because when the Holy Spirit speaks, as you look at the Bible, the Holy Spirit is always speaking totally hand in hand with the word of God. He speaks hand in hand with the word of God. As you look even in, in Ephesians 6, Paul talks to the people and he says, as he says, put on the full armor of God and he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word. The Spirit works together with the Word of God. If we want to hear the Spirit speak, then we need to learn the Spirit's language, which is the Word of God. We need to be immersed in the Word of God. We need to marinate ourselves in the Word of God. We need to study it. We need to talk about it with one another. We need to memorize it. We need to think about it and meditate on it. If you want to hear the Spirit speak to you, can he speak? Can God, if he wants to, speak apart from his word? He can, but what he does is he speaks through his word. He uses his word. And this is why it's so crucial for us to be involved in studying the Bible together as a church. 
It's so crucial as we come together like on Sunday mornings. That's why we spend time looking at the Word of God and trying to hear what the Spirit's going to say to us. That's why it's crucial for us to, to try to be building a, a discipline into our lives of, of spending daily time reading the Bible. If you want to hear the Spirit speak, then you need to know the Word of God. You need to know it forwards and backwards. But there's something else. There's another condition that's, that's, that's happening here that creates the, the perfect atmosphere for the Spirit to speak. And, and, and I see that in verse 2. It says, While worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. And then, and then in verse 3 it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And in verse 4 it says, They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So all this, ha- all this is happening by the Spirit, the direction of the Spirit, the Spirit is speaking. But what are the people doing? They're, they're, not just, they're not just focused on the word of God, but they're, they're all oriented towards God as they worship him, as they pray, right? When you worship and you pray, your attention is fixed on God. You're focusing on God. But then it also says something else. It says they're fasting. It says twice that they're fasting. Now, I, I brought up the idea of fasting last week in the new members class, and everybody, I mean, not everybody, but I got a lot of weird looks. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm expecting to get some more of them from you guys today. I mean, here they are, they're fasting. Why is the church fasting? Well, I think one of the things that, that, that fasting does is it, it expresses a longing for God to speak, a longing for God to do something. Throughout the history of God's people, they have fasted. God's people are, are, are regularly fasting. As you read through the Old Testament, you see all sorts of different references to fasting. Jesus and he counted on his disciples to fast. He says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you fast, do this. Do it this way. Fasting is used all sorts of, for all sorts of different reasons as you read through the Bible. Um, I'll give you a couple of them. One, one reason people fast is, is because they are so brokenhearted and, and they're hurting so deeply. They're grieving. They're mourning, and so they have no appetite. Another reason people fast is because they're, they're broken over their own sin and they feel so sorrowful and mournful about their, their sin that they fast. Another reason is, is sometimes they, they fast in order to use those resources to, to, to help people who are in need. They go without food in order to give food to others. But then one big reason that God's people fast is, is it's, it basically it expresses, as I said, it, it expresses a, a longing, a desire. It kind of puts an exclamation point on the prayers of the people as they seek God. Say, God, we want you so badly. We want you to speak so much that I'm willing to, to go without food so that I might hear you. And so I think... I think one of the applications, as, as we look at this, as we, as we think about, I want to hear God speak, I want to hear the Spirit speak, is that maybe we need to incorporate fasting more in our lives. I don't know how many of you guys have, have used fasting in your life, have, have fasted from things, but I, but I think it, it's important for us to, to actually incorporate fasting into our life. If you want to hear the Spirit speak, and I, need we, I think we need to do things where we are denying ourselves. See, this is the problem, is we are in the habit of filling ourselves. That's what we do every day of our lives. We, we fill ourselves with all sorts of things. We don't like the idea of fasting because we don't like the idea of being hungry. When I'm hungry, I, I'm, I get cranky. 
Maybe some of you have seen me get cranky because I'm hungry. Well, some of you have. I mean, just even last night, I'm like, I'm not waiting for dinner. I'm making it for myself. You know, I, we don't like to be hungry. We like to fill ourselves with food. We fill ourselves with all sorts of other things. We fill ourselves with entertainment. We fill ourselves with, with you know, the things that we buy. We fill ourselves with our careers and our work. We don't like to be hungry. We like to be full. And that's why I think the idea of fasting is one that's uncomfortable for us. But the problem is we, we end up being so full that there's no room for God to speak into our lives. We're so full of all these other things that we fill our lives with, there's no room for us to hear what God has to say. Um, I have a, a good friend from high school. Um, we were out to dinner a long time ago. And, you know, sometimes when you're, you're taking a drink, you're not really paying attention, you, drink your, you, you tip your drink too soon, and it all goes down your shirt. Or maybe you're, you're drinking, and the, and the ice all does some gymnastics in the, in the glass, and then it all spills out the side, and it comes down you. Well, we're, we're having dinner, and, and he, that happened to him. You know, it all ran down his shirt. And, uh, and just, you know, like without even thinking about it, he's just like, oh, I must be full. I thought that was so hilarious that I say that every time it happens to me. Nobody ever really appreciates it as much. But, but I think that's a picture of us. That's a picture of us that we fill ourselves so much with all of the things that we have in life, that all the things that we want, that anything from God, the Spirit just kind of spills out because we're too full. We're too full. And that's one reason I think it's important for us to, to, to think about trying to fast on a regular basis in our lives, whether it's fasting from food for a day, so that we might, you know, when you, when you fast, when you, when you fast, it's, it's hard to, to forget that you're fasting. When you fast, it's really hard to forget. When you're hungry, it's hard to forget that you're hungry. And so when you're fasting, it's, it's a constant reminder to you of why you're fasting. If you're fasting so that, that you might hear from God, if you're fasting so that, that, that as you pray to God, he might answer your prayers, it's a constant reminder to you that I want to hear from you, God. I want to hear what you're going to say. I want to see what you're going to do. So I'd encourage us to think about how can we incorporate that into our lives. I'm going to give us one very practical way. This, I, I, just, I just came up with this this weekend. So nobody else, I didn't check with session or anything like that. This is just my thing. And we're, we're gonna, I, I want to invite you guys to do with me this month, okay? Um, I would invite you every Monday to take that day and fast. So eat dinner Sunday night and fast until dinner Monday night, okay? Um, and just focus on just drinking water or maybe juice. If you can't fast for health reasons, maybe fast from something else, like social media or something like that. But take Mondays and fast, that we would do this together, and that we would pray, and, and pray for God to speak just individually into our lives, but also into our church life, that we would see what he's going to do. And as we do that, I, I also want to say, I'm, I'm going to be here tomorrow at 12 o'clock. If, if you live close by and you want to join me, I'm going to pray every Monday at 12 o'clock, just from 12 to 12.30. Maybe I'll sing a song and we'll read a passage of scripture because God's spirit works in tandem with his word. Read some scripture and we'll pray. We'll be done. 12 to 12.30. And then also tomorrow evening at 5, 5.30. Okay, 12 and 5.30 tomorrow. I'll be here and I'm going to pray. And if you want to join me, I know some, it's pretty early for those of you guys who, who kind of work late hours. Maybe some of you guys can take off work early. Um, but if you can't, maybe just pray with us where, you, where you're at. We're going to meet from 5.30 to 6, and, and I'll be here. And if I'm the only one here, that's cool. And I'm just going to pray. But I want to encourage you guys to think about how, how can I you know, express a deeper longing for God to speak, for the Spirit 
to say something? How can I tune my ears to hear what he's going to say? Okay? Um, so these are the things, these are the, the conditions where the, the Holy Spirit speaks here. They, they, they have, they're, they're immersed in the Word of God. They're hearing, they're, they're focused on the Word of God, and they're longing for God to speak. And one of the ways that that, that shows itself is, is the fact that they're fasting. They're denying them themselves in order to focus more on what God's going to say. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak here. He also shouts. He shouts through Paul. At least it sounds to me like he's shouting. In verses 9 and 10, the, after the magician Elimus tries to keep the proconsul, the Roman governor, from believing, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, and his words sound angry to me. So what is, what is it that moves the Holy Spirit to shout? Well, Elimus is getting in the way of Jesus, isn't he? He's getting in the way of Jesus. It, it's actually ironic because the first name that you hear, that Elimus has a couple names here. The first name that it refers to Elimus is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, or son of the, the, the Hebrew version of Jesus is, is Yahshua, son of, of God's salvation, son of, son of the God who saves. And it's ironic because he's doing the exact opposite here. right? He's getting in the way of, of the word of God, of the message of Jesus, getting to the proconsul. And Paul, the spirit through Paul, shouts at him. Verse 10, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That last line that totally reminds me of the passage we read earlier in Luke 3 that, that talks of John the Baptist. It's actually a quote from Isaiah 40 where it talks about the, the John the Baptist coming and preparing the way for Jesus. And he's going to make crooked paths straight, right? And, and a big aspect of John the Baptist's ministry is calling people to repent, to turn from their sins, to see their sin and to turn from it. And this is the exact opposite of what Elimus is doing. He's, he's, he's putting a roadblock in the way. He's making the straight way that the proconsul has to, to meet Jesus and know him and find salvation, and he's making it crooked. He's making it hard for, for, for the proconsul to, to know Jesus, and this is why the Spirit shouts at him. I think that Elimus serves as a warning for us. He serves as a warning for us. We want the Holy Spirit to speak, but, but we don't want the Holy Spirit to shout. We don't want him to shout at us. And In what ways are you making crooked the straight paths of God? For the people around you. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about it? What, what ways are you, are you making the straight paths of God crooked for the people around you? I mean, I doubt that anybody here is doing it intentionally, but a lot of us probably do it without even thinking. And the way that we live our lives, the, the people that we work alongside with our impatience, maybe our short temper, maybe our desire to be controlling, maybe our our, our lack of, 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 of empathy for the people around us, our, our unwillingness to, to pay attention to them, to listen to them, to have compassion on them. Are you making the straight paths for them, to Jesus? Are you making those paths crooked in the way that, that, that as you represent Jesus, you're doing more damage than good? I think... Uh, we also, you know, not, might not just make the, the straight paths crooked for people around us, but for, our, for ourselves as well. 
in the way that we, you know, talk to ourselves, in the way that we let anxiety crush us and, and fail to listen to the truth of God's word. I think we, we in, in a number of ways, make the straight paths to Jesus crooked in the ways that we talk to ourselves, in the way that we act, in the way that we treat other people. And we get in the way. We make ourselves enemies of righteousness with the people around us. And Elimus is obviously the villain. And I doubt any of us would think of ourselves as wicked as he is here. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all have this tendency to make ourselves enemies of righteousness in different ways. Maybe big ways, maybe small, small ways. But listen, there's good news here. And the good news that I see in this passage is that the Spirit doesn't just speak and shout. He doesn't just end by shouting at Elimus. But I would argue that he also seeks Elimus out. He's seeking Elimus. In verse 11, Paul, again, under the influence of the Spirit, he says to Elimus, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Does that sound familiar to anybody? If, you were, if you've been coming to church for, uh, for the last couple months, if you remember looking at Acts 9, remember what happened to Saul or Paul, who was an enemy of righteousness? how Jesus appears to him and confronts him in Acts chapter 9. And what does Jesus do to Paul? He blinds him. And, and in, that very, in that very passage, it says that he then has to have people lead him by the hand, right? The same exact thing that's happening to Elimus happened to Paul. And it makes me wonder, uh, as, the, as the spirit, uh, what, what is God doing? What does he want to do in Elimus' life? Is he just shouting at Elimus to, to crush him, to say, you are condemned, Elimus. No, I don't think so. I think this is an invitation for Elimus to respond, as Paul did, to be changed, to repent. This is the beauty. As we talk about like wanting the Spirit to speak to us, the, the, the first thing I was talking about is like, we, we need to create these conditions so that we will hear the Spirit speak, right? But the beauty is, the beauty is that the Spirit pursues us and seeks us, even in our failure to create those perfect conditions. The Spirit seeks out villains. The Spirit speaks out enemies of righteousness. The beautiful thing here, at verse, verse 11, he says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You can take that in one of two ways. The hand of the Lord is upon you, to crush you into the ground, Elimus. Or you could take it to, to, to mean the hand of the Lord is upon you, Elimus. Know that God wants you to respond. Know that God wants to, to love you and care for you. And that's not because Elimus was a good guy. It's not because Elimus was really trying hard to listen to the Spirit. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news for every single one of us here because the Spirit doesn't just work in the lives of people who are doing it all perfectly. The Spirit pursues and seeks out the ones who are failing. 
the ones who made themselves out as enemies of God. And that should move us all the more to, to want to hear what he has to say. To want to, to, to immerse ourselves in the things that he says. To want to, to fast and deny ourselves so that he might speak more clearly and we might hear him. This is the good news. See, we, we don't know what happens with Elimus. We don't know if he was changed. It doesn't say anything about what happens with him here, does it? But you can know what happens with you. You can know what happens with you. You can know how you respond to the Spirit seeking you out. Say, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you to be with you, to love you, to continue to lead you and speak into your life. Will you receive it? Will you receive his love? Will you receive his words of guidance and assurance and grace? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us um, to see your greatness here in the work of your spirit. Father, we pray that you would give us a, a greater hunger for your word, a greater hunger, a greater thirst for you to speak to us to have input in our lives. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we have made ourselves enemies of righteousness, for the ways that we have filled our lives with all sorts of things other than you that crowds your word out, that crowds your input out. Father, we pray that you would help us to repent and hear your words of grace to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.